Okay, we are Hebrews chapter 5 today, picking up where we left off, and we are about to step into, um, I have, uh, we're about to step into a pretty serious passage. Um, I have been looking forward to seeing this past us, uh, dreading actually dealing with it, um, but knowing it's a necessary thing, we, we, we do what we do here, walking through the books of the Bible the way we do. Uh, because it causes us to deal with hard subjects, and so today is one of those. Uh, Last week, we stepped into the author's teaching on Jesus' priesthood, and he closes out with this, uh, this statement about how Jesus is a priest in the in the um, role of Melchizedek, or in the priesthood of Melchizedek, and um, he's about to turn and, and he's got a lot to say. He's even going to say, i got a lot to say. He's about to turn and begin to speak about it. But he recognizes that before he can, he's got to deal with an issue in this church or among these people. And as a result of that, he's going to have some very direct, very difficult things to say. We're going to see two things happen. We're going to see the clearest indication of what's wrong in this church, the lack of health in this particular group of people that he's writing to. There's a lot of speculation and I've said it over and over, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of debate about who it is he's writing to and the reason for his writing. And, and these are, are, are Christian people, New Testament Christian people who are of a Hebrew lineage that are returning to the law. And it's not that that couldn't possibly be true. It's just not stated clearly. It certainly can be implied by the topics he uses and the things he points at. But today we're going to come as close as we will come to understanding the reason that he's writing this letter and the, and the, lack, and the, and the reason for the lack of health in this church. Second thing we're going to see as we work through this is, is really the strongest warning in the book. Uh, quite possibly the strongest warning in all of scripture. It's certainly been heavily debated as to and causes a lots of questions. I'm just going to say right up front. I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions in the setting we're in today. If, if this inspires questions, if this causes concern, I please, I want to hear, I want the questions. I want to talk to you about it. I want to walk with, with you as your pastor. Uh, I'm certain I'm not alone. I think Dave and Bob would, would voice that as well. Um, we want to answer those questions. We want to seek to, uh, as best we can, inform you from the Scripture uh, but because of the size, of, I'm just not going to be able to deal with it. I'm going to say that up front. But we are going to see uh, this very strong warning uh, against, and, and a strong warning against their spiritual laziness and a call to, call to spiritual maturity. Um, but, but the reality is, is both are achieved. He's pointing them again, pointing them again and again and again to Jesus. Look at him. Feast on him. Feed on his word. Be, find your satisfaction in him. And, and nothing else, uh, and, and that's ultimately his desire. Before we dig into it, really, that is his desire. His, it, we're going to walk through a lot of verses, and there's going to be a lot of strong things that he says that are going to bring some level of strong application to us as believers today. And I just want you to hear this. His desire is for the good of this church. He's going to state it very plainly, very clearly at the end in verse uh, 11 and 12. He's going to say it just right out. This is my desire. And, and I echo that desire. I don't have a desire to bring condemnation or heap guilt on you or to coerce you or manipulate you into activity. Uh, ultimately, I, I, I hope and desire that as you hear the word, that you will see 
where, where there might even be unintentional spiritual laziness that's leaving you in a lack of maturity, that's, that's not allowing you to mature to the fullest and ult- ultimately enjoy the truth of the reality of your eternal life even in this moment. And that's, that's what we're after. That's his purpose. That's my purpose. And so we're going to deal with this a little differently uh, than we do normally. Normally we read the whole thing and, and go through it, but I'm going to read this in sections. And so before we start... Knowing all the things that I've said before we start, we're going to pray, we're going to seek God's grace, we're going to seek the Holy Spirit's leading, uh, and then we're going to dig in, and we're going to be brought face to face face with some, some necessary and important truths. Father, help us now. This is your word. You, you wrote it, uh, uh, you, you inspired its writing, you, you ensured that we can't even give credit to a person that's lost to history. We don't even know who held the pen that wrote these, but we know the Spirit inspired it. So, Father, help us now. Spirit, meet us, lead us, guide us, inspire us, convict us of sin, and lead us in the path of repentance and righteousness. I pray how desperately we need you. And so would you, would you do the work that you intend to do? Your Father, your, Father, your word is, is good, it's useful, it's, it, it prepares and equips us for every good work. And so I pray that the hearing of it today wouldn't leave us uncertain or, 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 or languishing in confusion, but that it would launch us into a life of good works for the glory of your name and the fame of your son, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 11. We're going to read through. Uh, we'll actually end up through chapter 6, verse 12, but we'll stop here in this, in this first section at verse 14. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's just stop right there. We're going to take a, take a break. We'll just look at this for a second. I, and I just want you to imagine. Imagine uh, inviting some friends over to your house and, 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 and preparing this stellar meal from them, this, this, this perfectly seasoned, perfectly grilled steak with, with potatoes with all the fixings on them and, 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 and a beautiful salad. You know, all the colors of all the vegetables represented just make you want to eat it, you know, because who, who likes cabbage, right? Like, you got to have all those colors in there to make it desire, right? So, so you got this beautiful salad and, 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 and an array of dressings to put on it to make it actually edible. And, 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 and then there's this, these rolls, you know, like the rolls from Texas Roadhouse that as soon as you bite into them, they just kind of melt in your mouth, coated with that cinnamon sugar butter that, oh man, I, I know, you're, you're like, uh, shut up so I can go eat, right? Imagine preparing that meal with, with a mouth-watering dessert waiting at the center of the table for the end of the meal. And your guests sit down at the table and decline your offer of hospitality and break out their baby bottles and start sipping on some milk. What are you thinking? What is wrong with you? Look, look at this. So, something must be wrong. Something is off. Something is wrong with you. you look at all of this and, and you want that. 
That's exactly what he's dealing with here. There's so much to say about the priesthood of Christ, so much to look at, so much to appreciate, so much to learn. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Not because the topic is difficult. It's difficult because you have become dull of hearing, he says. Is it complex to think about the mature, the, the, the mature things of Christ, that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek? That's not something you learn the first day that you hear the gospel. And is, it, is it more complex? Absolutely. But it's not beyond our ability to grasp. It's not, we are not the, the one generation. This, this church is not the one generation of Christians that is suddenly unable to be taught and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And neither are we. He places the difficulty upon the people that he's teaching. Now look, look at verse 11, because he says something. It's, it's important we understand what he means. About this, we have much to say. About the priesthood of Christ, about the role and the position and person of Jesus Christ, we have so much to say. And it's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah it's hard to explain, but, but it's made more hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And the word dull, it, 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 we... we I don't know that we normally would use that word. So I went look, I went study, and that word literally could be translated lazy. You've become lazy in your listening. You're not willing to put forth any effort. You're not, you're not willing to meet the communicator on, 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 in the communication. You have become lazy in these spiritual things. The level of difficulty of the things I've got to tell you is increased because of your laziness. And as a result of this, he's about to confront them. He's about to confront them with the seriousness of their laziness and the results of their spiritual laziness. We're going to get a lesson in spiritual maturity as a result. Spiritual laziness, this is where it starts. This is where these first passages break out. Spiritual laziness bears the fruit of spiritual immaturity. These people are immature in their faith, not because they've not had opportunity to become mature, not because they have been uh, lacking in some uh, uh, capability. They are spiritually immature because they are lazy in spiritual things. Now, don't misunderstand. There's some people that it's right and okay for them to be spiritually immature. Spiritual immaturity in and of itself is not a sin. Right? We don't expect the person who initially professes faith to understand and be able to describe to other people the, the Trinity. Do we? No. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't do that. Spiritual maturity has its place in the church. The, the idea of going and making disciples, the mission we've been given implies and, and requires that we make space for spiritual immaturity. But the problem is not spiritual immaturity in and of itself. The problem is spiritual laziness is bearing the fruit of spiritual immaturity. In confronting this, in this passage, he shows us these characteristics or three characteristics of this immaturity. A lack of understanding. Verse 11, hey, I got much to say, but it's hard to explain. You're not going to understand. You have a lack of understanding. You have a lack of ability to understand because you are spiritually lazy. To hear it's one thing. To be able to parrot what someone says 
is another thing, right? Like I can hear, I can pair, I can, I can study for a test, I can gain the information, and I can pass the test, but that doesn't mean I've understood anything about the test or the su- subject matter in which the test was about. That, that's, that, that, that's not understanding. Understanding is being able to, to think on it and apply it. it, it it's, about, it's about going further and, 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 and seeing the aspects and the implications for life and, and, the, and the different and, and, and seeing it, being able to look at it from different perspectives. I mean, here's, here's the thing. The, the, the problem, again, is, is not their ability. These are not stupid people. They, he's not saying you're dumb. You have a learning disability. He's saying you've not taken the opportunity. You've become lazy in spiritual things. Because here, here's the deal. We can understand complicated stuff. Do, do you, you get that, right? Like we, people, just as because we're, God's creation as created beings and image bearers of the king, we can understand complicated things. Math, some of us, maybe not all of us, but math can be a complicated thing, right? But we, we, we don't expect the kindergartner to understand trigonometry, college-level algebra, calculus. We don't, we don't, we don't expect that, that, that someone who hasn't, hasn't started at, at the very beginning levels, 2 plus 2 equals 4, Honestly, that's not, even, that's not even the beginning, is it? But what's the number? Like even being able to count is the beginning. And understanding the relationship of these numbers and what they represent. It's not that we can't understand complicated stuff. It's not that we can't grow and, and, and move into this process. It's not that, that we can't gain an understanding of how these things relate to one another and work together so that, so that every one of us have some ability to begin to see the number and begin to see how it interacts with other numbers. Multiplication tables, division, long division, for crying out loud, decimals. And I'm not a math person, so that's about as far as I can go. But <laughs> how about words, reading? Man, I am so thankful that, that I wasn't required to be able to read uh, as a senior, uh, uh, I'm sorry, as a, as, a, as a kindergartner, as a first grader, I wasn't required to read and explain and understand War and Peace. Right? Who, 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 who would do that? But in time, after learning the ABCs and after learning how, how the CH makes the K or the CH sound in English anyway, and, and when to make the k or the ch sound, right? Like understanding how these things work together and learning and, and, and building up. And I could sit down if I was so inclined <laughs> and read War and Peace, but I'm lazy as it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm probably not going to do it. But we can understand that the, the issue at hand is not their ability to understand the complex reality of Jesus being, or the, the, the problem isn't their their, their ability, their problem is understanding. They've never grown up in the things of Christ, and so they can't understand the complex things of Christ. And they're stuck in this spiritual infancy, this infancy, this spiritual immaturity. They're stuck in a lack of ability to teach. In fact, he says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very basic principles. It, it's basically, he's calling out, you should be teaching, but you've got to be taught the ABCs again. Like, you don't even know how to say the alphabet of Christianity. That's what he's suggesting there. You need milk, 
not solid food. You should be teaching. You should be participating in the very mission of making disciples. And yet you're still the point of someone's mission. That's what he's saying. And one, of the, one of the ways in which we're defining and discerning when we're done in one of the villages in Senegal is when they are no longer the point of the mission, but they have matured to a level where they become partners in and participants with us alongside us in the mission. If they languish in that immaturity, we may have to make different decisions. But the reality is that every one of us, at some point in our Christian life, should step up and become members of and participants in the great commission of making disciples. Now he calls out specifically teaching, using the words and explaining the truths that we say we believe. I don't, I don't think what he intends to say is that everyone is to be a preacher or a teacher in an official capacity. But every parent, who's responsible to teach your children? You. Secondarily, me and this church. But primarily, it's your responsibility. We've handed that off to the church. Generations and generations of, of, of American citizens have handed that over to the church. Oh, they'll take care of it. I don't need to know. When they should have been teaching, they were still needing to be taught. Husbands, you're supposed to wash your wife in the water of the word. There should be a level of an an ability to begin to teach within your home that shapes the culture in that primary first relationship. A lot of times we struggle with the relationship between parents and children, and, and we wonder what happened with our kids when we... Should have been looking at what was going on between the parents to begin with. Because the husband wasn't fulfilling the role, wife wasn't fulfilling the role, and then we wonder why the kids are messed up. You should have been teaching. Should have been expressing truth to your wife. So that your children would be influenced by two parents who who have been trained in and matured by, by the word that can then turn around and explain that word to their children. Christian, maybe you're not a husband, maybe you're not a parent yet, but if you're a Christian, when Jesus said, go, make disciples, he didn't say that to one or two people. He said, he said that immediately and, and, and presently to those disciples that were close, his, his, his 11 apostles that were left, possibly a, a, a band of pe- people surrounding them. We know the apostles were there. But in the process, he says, therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That includes the very command of going and making disciples. He's saying, you should be participating in this process. You should be the one teaching. You should be the one handing it off. And yet, here you are. Here you are, needing to be taught the ABCs of Christianity again. But before we teach something... We have to understand it. As, as you, you see this process. I, I, I have to hear it. I have to think on it. I have to begin to understand it. I have to, I have to consider it for a time. I have to look at it. I have to think on it. I have to pray about it. This understanding then gives me an ability. It's a whole, whole other level of learning. I mean, imagine. Well, why, why, what is one of the main reasons why Christians don't evangelize and go tell their neighbors about who Jesus is? Because I don't know enough. Because they might ask a question I can't answer. Really? 
you know enough to believe and be saved, but you don't know enough to... The problem isn't knowing enough. The problem is understanding enough to the level, thinking of it, considering it, shaping it, thinking about the questions they might ask, seeking answers for yourself, and thinking about how they have implications and how all this stuff works together and looking at the, at the ways that it's woven together, this beautiful tapestry of the gospel, and, and then being able to sit down and say, hey, you know what? You're a sinner just like me. You need Jesus just like I do. And he came and he died on a cross. He lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose victoriously on the third day. And promises, promises anyone who believes in him will live with him forever in heaven. That's, that's a hard thing to learn and say. It requires understanding to be able to, 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 to move through our brain to the place where we can teach it. But that's the process of maturity. He calls out, so he calls out a lack of understanding. He calls out a lack of, of participation or a lack of teaching. And he calls out a lack of discernment. Verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers. Now, now he's, he's, he's p- positioning this that I'm calling a characteristic of Im- immaturity. He's positioning this in a characteristic of maturity. But we can see the opposite side. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I think there's really two things wrapped up inside of this discernment. This this one lack of discernment I think really represents two characteristics woven together in one. Because he confronts their discernment of good and evil as a result of a lack of practice. And there's a reality that spiritual maturity, a lot of times we, we get fooled. We get fooled by people who walk around using big words like hermeneutics and soteriology and eschatology and, and amillennial. Uh, we, we could go on this whole tirade about eschatology stuff. So we, we, we got uh, uh, pre, pro, partial preterist, amillennial, uh, whatever, right? Like you just list off this litany of big words and nobody understands what you're saying. And so they think, oh, that guy, he must know the Bible. And then you follow them into life. Nothing. In fact, the Pharisees, boy, they knew the scripture. And what did Jesus say to them? You are whitewashed tombs. You are blind guides. They were even a very moral people. <laughs> so it seemingly, apparently, uh, by all appearances, they were, they were even applying it, but they weren't really applying it. They had no discernment. But this application, this use of being, being as James says, a hearer and a doer, turning into this transformation that leads us to begin to understand the difference between good and evil. And so, so the argument, uh, one of the big arguments of the year was, uh, in, in Christian circles at least, was whether or not the riots, I'm not talking about the protests, I'm talking about the riots that occurred last year were justified. That's a debate in Christian circles. That injustice, answering injustice is the right thing? That that's, that's good? That's not at all what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. When you've been struck off from your other cheek. When they ask you to go a mile, walk too. They, they ask for your tunic. Hey, give them your cloak. Be a doormat. Be taken advantage of, he says. And in Christian circles, we're going we're gonna to seek to answer injustice or with, with injustice, more sin, answering evil with evil. There's something wrong in the church. Just like this church. 
Sorry. It's true. There's a lacking discernment in the American church because we've not been applying the word. We've been sitting around and listening to it and pretending that we're really smart and good with it because we can use big theological terms. It's a problem. There's a lack of discernment between good and evil. This shows a spiritual maturity problem that's led by and, and caused by a spiritual laziness problem. And this church was struggling. It's obviously still happening today. Which brings me to my concern as your pastor. I, I can't influence anyone who doesn't belong to this church or who doesn't come and sit and say, hey, we'll, we'll listen to your teaching. But for everyone who listens to me, I have a responsibility and I have a deep concern. Some of us are spiritually lazy. Now, I'm not, I'm not so arrogant to think that I know all your names. All your names. Talking to the camera, right? Like, not just the... I don't know. Because I don't know what's going on inside your head or your heart. I can't be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't understand all the things that lead you to where you're led. But I can see the fruit of it. I can see the fruit of it. When we as a people make time for everything but Bible study and prayer together, when this hour together becomes optional, participation in the life of the church is secondary. When we'd rather sit down and spend time watching, uh, I'll, I'll name some that I'm guilty of, right? Like this, I'm, this is an implication on, I'm, I'm not here pointing fingers. When we spend as much time watching Survivor, Seinfeld, Office, Friends, listening things and laughing at things and being entertained by the things that Jesus died to redeem people from, that's an indication of spiritual immaturity and infancy. When we have to spend weeks and weeks and weeks begging for help to do vacation Bible school, to teach the next generation the gospel. When I'm told, last week, last, uh, I, this isn't in my notes, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it. We're, it's got to be said. One for one, adults to children last week in service. I was told at least, at least ten times I couldn't hear a thing. I've been told by parents, I haven't heard a thing since our kids have been in here. I just think I'm going to have to watch it online later. But I know the views online don't demonstrate that everybody that's not hearing it in here is watching it online. I went and checked just to double check. I don't typically look at those things, but I went back and looked. When I sit in my community group, and this stuff has happened in, in my community group, and I love every one of them dearly, and I'm just using them as an example. If you know who's in the group, then I'm, I'm not accusing. I'm just using the illustration. When we go around the circle to have a sermon discussion, and they say, well, I didn't have a chance to watch it yet. I didn't have a chance to watch it yet. 
I didn't have a chance to watch it yet. But we can quote lines out of movies. We can ensure that our children are at every practice. We can ensure that we're on our vacations. We can ensure that our lives of comfort and ease are as broad as we can make them. We can ensure that our kingdom is being built. I don't think we're intentionally lazy. I want you to hear me say that. I don't think this is intentional. But something's got to change. Something has to change. When we are unwilling to live the Christ, the life that Christ lived, when we are unwilling to speak the words that Christ spoke, when we are unwilling to take time to understand the truth of the gospel that gives us eternal life, it's an indication of spiritual laziness and it will leave us in immaturity. I wish I could tell you he stops there. He keeps going. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the internal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I want you to just see what he does in that very first verse. He confronts the laziness. He confronts their laziness. You are dull of hearing. You are lazy to listen and, and, and apply the things of God. You are lazy in that, he says. And then he calls the readers to their responsibility. Because spiritual maturity, this is the point that I think of this section, spiritual maturity is our responsibility to pursue earnestly. Spiritual maturity is our responsibility to pursue earnestly. He puts that responsibility on these people who are lazy and dull of hearing. So not only has he just told them you're spiritually lazy and therefore spiritually immature, but now we need to do this. we got to get busy doing this. This is the repentance that you're being called to, he says. Get after it. Get after maturing and growing up in Christ. Well, what is this spiritual maturity? We could go back to these three characteristics of immaturity, flip them on their head, and see the characteristics of maturity. Characteristics of maturity is understanding the, the, the more complex, deeper things of the gospel. A characteristic of, the, uh, of maturity is being able to participate and teach others and explain even the basic things. Even if you're not someone standing up and exegeting every passage of scripture, but you're explaining the basic things of the gospel to someone else. At least you could participate in the mission. Someone who serves alongside the one and enabling the person to teach. Being able to discern good from evil so that you're not struck with this sudden struggle. Can I sin in answer to sin? Can I sin more? Can The struggle of, of, here's one that's not a hot button issue, uh, at least that I know of in our congregation. The guy who says to his girlfriend, we're married in our hearts. We can do whatever we want. Who's that guy to tell us what to do? There's no such thing as married in your hearts until you're committed in holy matrimony before God the Father, right? But every guy in this room knows he's wanted to make that argument to his girlfriend. But being able to discern the good and evil, that's, that's evil. Oh, that's easy. Okay, done. All right, we could turn it, we could do that. 
We can see that that's what Christian maturity looks like. But, but I want to I I I just see it again. I, I, I stated it just passingly. I want to I state it in light of who we've seen Jesus to be and in light of what we've seen Jesus to do. We are mature. We do mature as we understand him and participate in the mission that he's given us and apply what we've learned from him and about him so that we don't just know about Jesus, but we know Jesus. And we don't just, we, we don't just act like we're living a good life, but we begin to actually think, speak, and act like Jesus so that when people see us and interact with us, they think, oh, he's been with Jesus. She's been with Jesus. I bet they're a Christian. They're, ooh, yeah, that, they must be Christian. And so that when we say, hey, you want to come to church with me? They're not, oh, you go to church? He calls us, not to, not to lay a foundation of a basic elementary things again. He calls us away from, from, from constantly going back and, and rebuilding and, and seeking to teach again and seeking to understand again these basic things of the gospel. The point is, is that once we build the foundation, we should begin to erect the house on top of the foundation, not continue to expand the foundation. Or better yet, go off and decide, well, that's not good enough, I'm going to go build a foundation over here and keep building foundations. At some point, there should be a house being built. Walls should be going up. I found a quote from Tom Schreiner extremely helpful on this point. He says, Christians... Never leave or abandon the elementary teachings of the faith. They are, as Hebrew says, foundational and fundamental. On the other hand, something is radically wrong if the same teachings need to be defended and explicated repeatedly. The fundamental teaching should become the platform for further growth and understanding. The idea of, uh, and let me put it in terms of our church. We're a gospel central church. We got one drum and we're going to beat it all day long, Right? what we do gospel 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 right but we're not trying to 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 lead you in this place where you where you don't understand the bigger broader things we're trying to say the gospel is simple it's like a waiting pool that a kid can step into i don't know where i first heard this i think it was first said about romans but a kid can wade into the edges of the pool but as we grow and mature we find that it's it's as deep as the ocean and that the most experienced of divers cannot reach the depths. See, this three ideas, it's, it's, it's not that we're getting rid of the gospel, it's that we're understanding the gospel more fully, that we're applying it more completely, that, that it's affecting and transforming us to look, to look, to think, to act, and speak more and more like Jesus. And he calls out three of these basic things. Now, again, I'm not going to have time to go into all of this stuff and, and the ways that it's dealt with, but I just want you, to, I want, to, I want you to see them. Repentance from dead works to faith in God. This is an initiation point. It's a, if, if faith is true, you understand the lie. Repentance. Be, be, oh, that's a lie I've been believing. Here's the lie. I've got to start believing the truth. Repent of sin. That's a lie. That's evil. Here's God. I believe him. I'm going to live for him. Repentance from dead works and faith in God. That's the beginning. That's the entry point of salvation. Not to mention it's the whole life of a Christian. You didn't say a prayer once and deal with your repentance. You did say a prayer once that led you to a life of repentance. You didn't profess faith once and then suddenly offer your whole life just, just, oh, well, I believe because my whole life is... No, faith is worked out every day. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. That's what Hebrews has been calling us to. It's an ongoing reality, not just simply a basic initiating 
moment. Instruction about washings and laying on of hands. This one's a little more difficult because nobody's really certain about what he's talking about. They think he's probably referring to the distinction between um, Jewish washings and Christian baptism and showing a distinction between them and the difference between the Jewish people who would lay on hands, and you can read about that in the Old Testament, and Christian practices of laying on hands to, to uh, basically to, to pass on the Holy Spirit, essentially, and, and this practice of, of laying on hands for that process. But the reality is there's these initial, initiating religious rites that people go through that, yes, they got to happen, and, yes, they're absolutely important, and, and they're necessary for the, for the life of the Christian. And every, every professing believer should be baptized. Every professing believer should be taught that they have received and in, are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. But, but that should move beyond the foundational work to see how the implications of that reach their whole life and transform everything about their life. He goes on in resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And I, wait, wait, that's an initial thing? Like, that's a basic thing? Seems pretty big to me that think about. But isn't that how we sell salvation in modern times? I, I, I have no doubt that that's exactly. Here, here's the promise. Believe in Jesus, John 3.16. They probably didn't say 3.16 since the verses were added so much later. But, hey, don't you remember the teaching of John? For God so loved the world that. He sent his only son. Whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Well, not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Isn't that what we tell uh, you? believe. You enter into faith and boom, you got. But there's this whole span of time. Well, not for everybody, but for most people, this whole span of time from the time they confess and profess Jesus as Lord, the time that they walk through those initial rites of baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit to the time that they're going to die in, what about all this time in between? The gospel has implications for every moment, for every aspect. And we are called to know it, to grow up in understanding of it, to be prepared by the, by the light and momentary afflictions to prepare us for the eternal way to glory, to, to see how those sufferings increase and strengthen and mature our faith. As we continue to trust in God as everything in this world seeks to work against us in it, it seems to me that he's calling these Christians to pass on, pass those initial moments of, of, of faith to a life, to an to a increasing life of faith, an increasing life of repentance, to grow up in so that you do think, speak, and act more and more like Jesus so that you can see the, the image of the Son of God being polished out in and among his people. This is our responsibility. Therefore, let us leave the... This is an exhortation. You've got to do this. You've got to leave these elementary things of faith so that they transform our whole life. And look at verse 3. This we will do if God permits. Now, again, I don't have time to go into all this. I wrote about this just a few weeks ago. I'd encourage you to go back and look at the God's sovereignty, man's responsibility uh, post. But I'll just say quickly... This is just another way we see it playing out in the scripture. God sovereignly commands us to do a certain thing that we are absolutely incapable of, incapable of doing if he doesn't bring the transformation. He calls us to, in, to, to approach him in faith, to grow up him, in, in him in faith. And he meets us by his sovereign power and his sovereign will and he grows us at the rate he intends to grow us. 
but he calls us away from spiritual laziness all the time. Pursue him and him alone. Look to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the whole idea. Making yourself more and more dependent and actually feeling free to be more and more dependent because you trust him so much. That's maturity. And you understand all, maybe not why every little thing happens, but you understand underneath the difficulty of it all, he is still good. And you can tell people that with sincerity. <laughs> and, 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 and as they come against you, you can see what the Lord meant for evil, or, or for what man meant for evil, the Lord meant for good. I wish I could say stop there, but it's about to get really bad. I'm just preparing you. So four, go on, verse, verse four. Four, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible, he says, to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him, holding Jesus up to contempt. For the land that is drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. And a lot of people, when they read this passage, are immediately going to go to begin to defend their view of, of how salvation works and whether a person can be lost or saved. And I think the passage speaks to that. But I don't think that's the primary point of this author. He's giving us a reason, a greater reason to do all we can to pursue growing up in Christ. Look, look at the logical flow of how this works together. You go back into chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine. He gives us some explanation of the elementary doctrine. And then he comes down and he says, and this we will do if God permits. And he's actually, in, after this warning, he's actually going to do that in chapter 7. He's going to return to the teaching of Jesus in the role, in, in the order of Melchizedek. He's going to go back to it. But the logical flow says, therefore, let us leave the doctrine and we will do it if God will permit it. For this is the reason since we got to pursue uh, spiritual maturity since it's impossible to restore those who fall away to repentance. And here's the point I think that he's driving home. And, and why he's addressing spiritual immaturity, spiritual laziness I should say. Because the danger of persistent spiritual immaturity is apostasy. The danger of persistent spiritual immaturity is apostasy. It is virtually impossible to distinguish between the brand new professing believer and the person who doesn't know Jesus but knows about Jesus. Because they haven't had time to begin to grow up and to see those truths transform their hearts and their minds so that they live and act and speak like Jesus. And for these people that he's writing to, for these people that he's writing to, let me, let me show you this first. He's not condemning them directly. He's, he's not saying, this is who you are. He's giving them a warning. And let me show you how I, how I see that and how that becomes evident. In the passage before, he's speaking first person plural. Let, therefore, let us leave. Together, let's leave it as a people. Let's get out, right? Let us leave. And this we will do. This is first person plural. 
in the passage that follows it, he's going to begin speaking third, this, or second person. This is about you, you, your case, in your case, speaking again about them. But in this section, verses 4 through 8, he begins to speak about this theoretical third person group of people. For it is impossible in the case of those. So he is not pointing at this church and saying, you're apostates. And in, in, my, in, in my earlier push, in my earlier confrontation, I was not, I'm, I'm not intending to point at you and say, you're apostates. Don't hear that. But here's why it's so important. Because it is impossible to distinguish between a brand new believer and one who is lost. Spiritual laziness that gives way to this perpetual spiritual infancy may reveal more about a person than they think it does. It may reveal that they never knew the one they say they trust. And so he warns them. If you don't see spiritual maturity in your life, if you don't begin to grow up and see the fruits of the the work of God in your life, he uses a little bit different um, parable than Jesus did. He uses two soils instead of four. He says, if your life produces thorns and thistles, you've never been saved. You've never been transformed. And your end is to be burned. And judgment, that judgment's near. So do everything you can. Pursue in every way you're able. Set spiritual, be, be lazy about the things of the world. I, I'm not, I don't have a problem with laziness. Go be lazy about being entertained. Go be lazy about making sure that your kids are in every sport that they can possibly, and, 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 and that they're doing all the things that all the other kids in the world are doing. Be lazy about, uh, about the, the, the pursuit of your earthly kingdom. But be earnest and, and dogged in your pursuit of the things of the Lord. Be lazy about everything but this because this matters. This is the only thing that really eternally matters. And yet we treat it as if it's a haphazard thing. Oh, well, you know, when Jesus comes back, I said this prayer when I was a kid. It didn't mean anything to me all my life, but when he comes back, yeah, I'll be saved then. We come up with silly sayings and denominations that we belong to. Once saved, always saved. I said a prayer, I walked an aisle, I did the stuff. But I lived my life and I did it my way. But boy, the day I die, he's going to welcome me home. Are you crazy? That's what he's saying. Are you nuts? That's it's foolishness. And he longs for them to see that that is absolutely foolishness. He tells them, these people, all oh, these people, these people that, that hear it, that taste it, that, that experience it. And, and people wrestle. This is where people wrestle so hard because they're trying to discern, are these true Christians that he's talking about? Are they not true Christians? Personally, I don't think they are. I've talked clearly on our, on, on our position and perspective of perseverance of the saints. But I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you I, I, again, oh man, I don't have nearly enough time. I'm already way over, and I'm apologizing for that. But I'm not apologizing for that because we need to hear this. Hebrews 4.2, let me just give you this. He says, four good news came to, 
to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Adjacency to the gospel, access to the gospel is nothing if there's not faith and a maturing faith in the gospel. That's what he's saying in that verse. And I think that this is the same group of people he's kind of referring back to. These people who had access, who had touched it, who had seen it, who'd experienced it, who tasted it. And it was all around them. But it did them absolutely no good because it was not united by faith with those who heard it. There was all kinds of examples of this in the scripture. All kinds of examples in the scripture. Israel. They have been referred to in chapter 3 and into chapter 4. They, they, they saw God split, split, the, split the Red Sea and they crossed on dry ground and they watched the Egyptian army behind them be, be swallowed up and drowned, defeated. And like, like 50 days or I don't know how long it was. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. Don't know how long it took him to get to the mountain. Like, oh, just a few weeks later, they're like, hey, Aaron, he's been gone a while. Why don't you build us a cow? And from that moment forward, we see just how broken they are. There's not enough meat. What'd you do? Take us out here to die. There's not enough water. We want more water. Give us more water. I, 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 I need water. Oh, man, we've defeated some armies on the way, but, but, but that one over there, that's just a little too much. And that whole generation is told, you're not entering the promised land. They had every opportunity They had seen God work in ways that most of us would be like, whoa, I'd love to see that. But they didn't believe him. There was no faith. Esau is going to be referred to later. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 is going to be referred to later. Remember the story that Esau gave up his birthright for a cup of soup. Cup of noodles, right? Like, here's this cup of soup. I am so hungry, you can have my birthright. And then he realizes what's happened, that he really gave up his birthright. And he is distraught because it is impossible to get it back. Judas, New Testament example, walked with Jesus, listened to him with his own ears, saw him with his own eyes. And as far as we know, when the, when the 12 were originally sent out, Jesus on the road, right? Like he's on the road, he sends his 12 out, he gives them power and authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. You know who was with them? Judas. And what did Judas do? He betrayed his Lord. He rejected his Savior. And it's going to be better for he felt he falls condemned. Gosh, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to anyone. That sits in this church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday hearing the gospel proclaimed. Hearing the truth of Jesus. Oh, I don't want that for you. So we've done what we can. We've established rhythms of life so that we can be equipped with the truth of the word. In our equip hour, we are seeking... uh, 
theology. We want you to learn the theological systems of the Bible, theological depths of the Bible. We want you to know how it is and what it is to live missionally week in, week out, to be able to speak your faith to people. We come every week and there's a Bible study just to sit and study the Bible. And we want you to be able to do it. We're doing Christian discipline stuff for a year. We've been seeking to train people to plead and pray and worship God in gospel and life stuff. We want your marriages to be gospel oriented. We want your your lives to be gospel saturated. We come every week and we open this word and I do my best not to give you my opinion except where it's rooted deeply in the scripture. We sing songs. Every song we choose. Every song we choose. I don't, listen, I, I've been asked. I'm going to say it now. Not in my notes. Sorry. You're just going to have to deal with it. We've got to do this. Every song we choose, we have vetted for theological accuracy. I've been asked, well, what about if it's written by a certain group? Man, if you can't sing a theologically accurate song with fervor because it speaks truth about your God, that says more about you than it does the song. And we can argue about that later, but that's how we feel about it. Because these things are true, we are, we are, and, and if there's a theological flaw in our, in our songs, then you let us know. If you hear it and we haven't heard it, let us know. We, we, are, we, we are freed by the gospel. We don't live by a law anymore. We have the freedom to praise God in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of situations in which other people can't because they are blind. But we have been freed in Christ to worship our Father, to, to think like our brother Jesus, to, to speak the words he spoke, and to act like him. Where in the world are we ever finding anything in this world that doesn't find its roots in broken, sinful idolatry? The food you eat probably prepared by non-Christian people, should you eat it? The cell phones, you got them with you, don't you? Who makes those? The restaurants you go to? The money you spend at Walmart, where do you think that goes? The taxes you pay? Well, you know, I'm voting against uh, using my tax dollars for abortion. Do you realize they're still killing other people with your tax dollars for unjust reasons? Like, how can we participate in this world if we live by that? We are free in Christ. That's maturity. That's what it does for us. Quit languishing in infancy and immaturity. Grow up, he says. Because if you don't grow up, if you squander your opportunity and your access to the gospel, you might just find yourself judged rather than received. Please, hear him. Now, I'm glad he didn't stop there. <laughs> because this is where he turns around and in a very pastoral way seeks to encourage those he's just confronted. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. So, you know, we can't stop where we just stop. We've got to do this. Though, though we speak in this way, yet you're in your case, yet in your case. Let me, let me look you in the eye. In your case. Yet in your case, <clears throat> I've lost my place. In your case, here we go, beloved. Ah, such a term of endearment. I love you. 
I, your pastor, your friend, your brother, love you. We feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. See, he's not, con- he's not condemning them. He's not accusing them. He's warning them. Listen to his warning, but hear his encouragement. I, I know, I'm certain, I'm confident of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The fruit of his work is evident. And so there's no reason to doubt. There's no reason to be questioning your faith. But there's reason, brothers and sisters, to pursue with fervor, with earnestness, the spiritual maturity, understanding, and growing up in the freedom of the gospel that enables us to look like, act like, speak like our Savior Jesus Christ. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. And notice, notice, this is fruit being borne out. This isn't to their benefit. This is them giving their lives to others. Serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you, here's his desire, I told you this was coming and it was at the end, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Spiritual maturity, brothers and sisters, this is why he longs for them. He warned them about why he wanted them to pursue spiritual maturity, and this is the fruit that comes from it. This is what he desires. Spiritual maturity bears the fruit of assurance, endurance, and inheritance. Insurance, assurance, confidence that when you step into the kingdom, you're not going to be, be saying, Lord, look at all I did in your name, and he's, gonna, he's not going to say to you, I never knew you. You're going to walk into the kingdom with humility, recognizing you don't deserve to be there on your own, but when you see your Savior, you're going to be like, whoa, Jesus. You're going to fall at his feet, try to grab a hold of him, and he's going to say, welcome. Come into my rest. Endurance. This is not an easy path. The pursuit of spiritual maturity is not simple. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. My eye fell on Ken, and it's just something we say to each other all the time, getting old isn't for the faint of heart. It's difficult work to get old, right? Some of you don't, yeah, there you go. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you're still young. But when your hips hurt every time you take a step, when, you're, when your mind doesn't work as clearly as it used to, when, when uh, you can't remember what you want to say, when, when you forget names, like I'm looking at somebody, I want to say their name, I can't say their name, and Ken's lucky I remembered his name, <laughs> right? It's not easy to deal with this stuff. But it's worth it. And when we meet with Christ, he, he, he is our sustainer. He feeds us with a food that enables us to continue on. He is the great sustainer. Quit looking for that sustenance. Quit looking for that peace. Quit looking for that joy. Quit, quit looking for that energy and strength from your rest in this world. Find it in him. Feast on the word that he gives you. Feast on the Savior that says, I am the bread of life. He's going to enable, there's going to be a compounding reality that as you go to him, he enables you, to gives you the endurance to keep going. That's the preservation and the preserving of the saints that persevere. This, God, this, this mix between, between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility again. But, but it's there, right? And, and we desire each of you to know the earnestness, to the full assurance of hope, to the hope, to the what's coming. 
This is mine. It's mine. It's not, not, not mine yet, but it's mine now, and it's going to be mine then. This endurance to get there, to, to end there, to end up there, so that you may not be sluggish. It's the same word that was used as you may not be lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and, par- and patience inherit the promise. And that's the endurance component. He's going to point them out specifically in chapter 11 when he walks through this, this hall of faith, as it's often called, this list of bygone saints that endured in the face of great persecution and pain and problems and loss. And yet they endured because they trusted the one in which had called them and in which they were pursuing. And then finally, the inheritance piece, the promises that had been made in him inherit the promises. There's coming a day when all of this fades away. When all the pain, the light momentary afflictions, the struggles, the arguments between what's right, wrong, indifferent, what, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. There's coming a day when all of that's wiped away. And, this, <laughs> and, and, and the new city Jerusalem is going to come down out of the sky. I don't know if it'll look exactly like this. I'm just thinking of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where it comes down out of the sky. There's a loud voice. I am making all things new. And I'm wiping away every tear. Death is no more. Pain is gone. There is no suffering. He is our God, and we are his people, and he is with us, and we are with him. Oh, endure, because it's worth it. And that promise will be fulfilled. Peter makes the same point, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Do everything you can in your power to confirm your calling, your election. Something that's not of you, right? It comes from God. You do everything you can. You pursue this with all your might. And you will never fall, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do whatever you can. This closing statement, do whatever you can to ensure that after hearing the gospel, that you're actually believing and growing up in the gospel, so that in the end you get to enjoy all the blessings of the gospel. I don't want any of you to sit here and, and languish in enduring in the gospel, and it all be for naught. How do you do that? How do you do that? Turn to Jesus. Feast on Jesus. He's over and over gone to this passage, over and over in this passage, gone back. Go to him. Feast on him. Eat the meat. Get to know him. Get to know about him. Begin to follow him. And you'll find that in time, just like it is watching children grow up, you'll find that in time, He will sustain you. He will give you rest. You will make it to the end. And when you get there, you'll look a whole lot more like him than you did when you began. Let's pray.